Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 190 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. The coronavirus is spiking in my home state of Florida. We're all going to die. I'm feeling good. How are you feeling, Mike? Other than my fucking sinuses and, you know, this uh, allergy shit, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. And an unexplainable fever and inability to breathe. You're doing all right? <laughs> no, I don't have any of that. You know, I went to a karaoke place two weeks ago, and this guy showed up, and I knew him. He was like a photographer for some local magazine or whatever. And uh, I was like, hey, man, what's going on? I shook his hand. He sang some karaoke, and then he left, and I shook his hand again. Then he messages me like a few days later, and he's like, hey, Josh. Just wanted to let you know I was feeling really sick Saturday, and I went in and I tested positive for coronavirus. So I'm just letting everyone know who was at the establishment Wednesday that they should um, they should probably go get tested. Yeah, so that I'm like reading this message and I'm going, oh, that's that's cool. Um, ju- that's that's just great because you know when the quarantine was going on. Uh, and this is probably going to sound like, duh, but I'm like, man, you guys need to reopen bars and shit so I can get back to work. I don't even know one person with coronavirus. And now, since we have reopened a lot of stuff in Florida, I know several people with coronavirus. There you go. So it is, it, 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 it is actually spreading a lot more now that shit's reopened as, as it will. We had like 18 uh, more cases that were announced uh, here in Clark County, um, but that's nothing compared to Florida. Oh, yeah, dude. We are like off the chain right now. But according to our mayor, uh, Lenny Curry, he's talking about, you know, the ICU capacity is still very low or or very high. And that's good. There's oh, very no, high. Or, or, okay. Well, well, basically, there's not a lot of people going oh, into. Okay. So all the all, peop- right. all the new cases, because I I heard somewhere that this virus is is morphing and you know changing it all. So like a lot of the new cases have been either asymptomatic or very mild. So uh-huh. people are getting it, but it's not like as life threatening as like Mark One. So I don't know, and I think that. Both the mayor and the governor, uh, I think they're kind of too prideful to like be like, okay, we were wrong and we need to like shut everything back down again. Yeah. So pretty much. Here's the thing. There are different strains of the virus. So maybe this is a newer strain in the virus that is not as deadly. 
And if that's the case, then... Uh, it's kind of like the flu at that point. That'll work out for uh, a lot of people. Uh, it, it'll still be a problem for people who are uh, immune uh, deficient or, you know, maybe, you know, the elderly or, or people already have immune disorders. But for, you know, people who don't, it, it, it you know, if it's not as lethal or as dangerous of a strain it, it it's it's not going to be as bad yeah once it starts getting filtered through people's bodies and then they they pass it on it's already like i feel like less lethal because like it's been filtered through human beings because before it well was... i mean it just depends on it really just depends on the virus itself it's, it has nothing to do with it's cycling through people it depends on you know what the virus does mike why can't uh, you just let me peddle my pseudoscience bullshit to, <laughs> to people why do you gotta rain on my parade because i'm trying to cover your butt that's why <laughs> <laughs> oh that ship has sailed so many times on this podcast butt's gotten too big to cover i just i can't do it it just grows with every lie it's 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 like Nicki Minaj level ass that you'd have to cover at this point for me. So yeah, I got tested for the coronavirus uh, last Wednesday, um, and I went. It sounds in. Sounds like a very uncomfortable test. Oh, it was very uncomfortable because they didn't do the throat swab. That sounds like it's a little bit more pleasant. They shoved a probe. Stick it up your nose. Yeah, right? they, they they probed my brain essentially with a long bendy q-tip uh yeah well, now you know what it's like to be abducted by aliens and have a probe shoved up your nose yeah i mean it went so far <laughs> back it started curving back down into the back of my throat and i'm just like ah, 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 and, yeah, ooh. but i mean i don't ooh. know i've had worse procedures done i mean getting my wisdom tooth pulled was probably one of the well yeah worst experiences i've had a root canal yeah, I've had I think I've had uh, one or two of those when I was younger cuz I was just an idiot and was not really about brushing my teeth back then, which is <laughs> disgusting yeah. to think about cuz now I'm like so big on like, you know, hygiene. Brushing, yeah, hygiene and like mm -hmm. not having stank ass breath. So like now yeah. I brush my teeth all the time, but I think I have a cavity, but I I you know, I don't have a whole lot of money to be able to pay for fucking dental work right now. I know, now, man. So. Me neither. I need to I, honestly, I'd like to get my other wisdom teeth extracted. Um, but it's just so expensive. You know, it's just like, oh well, I guess I'll just wait until they become you know, so bad that I can't ignore the problem anymore. But I mean, I know they're getting in the way back there and I can't properly clean them. So they're going to cause yeah. infections and shit in the future. So I would like uh -huh. to get them pulled now. But it's like, dude, that's like, geez, at least five or six hundred bucks per tooth, I think. So dude, yeah, damn. I ain't getting the money for that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, uh, speaking of, um, you know, not social distancing, uh, I had a few people over last night for a little get together, a little hoot nanny. Uh, me and this uh, chick, Amanda, wanted to, wanted everyone, because like both of our dads, you know, have passed away at this point, And like our uh -huh. our common bond is that that both of our dads like exposed us to Pink Floyd, the the wonders of Pink Floyd growing up. And so they're one of my favorite bands. They're one of her favorite bands. And our friends at this little bar last night were like, oh, we've never seen The Wall. And it's like, what? You've never seen The Wall? You, you, we've got to go and watch it tonight. Like, stat. And so, like, 
five or six people ended up coming over and man trying to show a bunch trying to get a bunch of drunks in a room to show them a movie and have everybody shut the fuck up and watch it is like hurting cats oh yeah it's really difficult like i've gone to multiple screenings of uh horror films and you know the theater serves beer so it'll you it usually winds up getting fucking uh it devolves into people getting plastered and riffing on shit. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Or, or this one chick, literally, like right in the middle of the movie, she sees something in one of the scenes that reminds her of a childhood experience, and she starts sharing this story of her as a child, like just just going on about it, like literally right as the movie's playing, and, and I finally I pause the movie. And I'm like, what, what, go ahead with your stories. Go like, tell us the whole story right now, because like, I'm, tr- I, this movie means a lot to me. I'm trying to show you guys. I mean, it, it, it's no surprise that that's what we were doing here to like tonight. Like I told everyone before you came over, Hey, we're watching this movie and you're sitting here telling me childhood stories. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, shut up. Like, and so then I think she got offended and left. <laughs> oh, no. Right, rightfully oh so. Uh, I don't care, though, man. You know, like, that's that's rude. Like, it's just... If you were emotionally intelligent, then you would know that, hey... But they're also drunk. I so. know, I know. I know. That's the problem. The alcohol was the, the common... Although I think this, this person in particular would have talked anyway, even if she was sober. And then she starts like making out with my friend, and I'm like, "Can you just, can you just pay attention?" Or like, I'm just, I'm just imagining this whole scene in my head, and it's cracking me up. Josh is just sitting there on the couch, I'm trying like, to watch, uh, uh, you know, trying to watch Pink Floyd, The Wall. This this girl's making out with with her boyfriend right next to him, and making smacking noises, yeah. and doing all this other shit. This other person's talking and asking questions. And you're just sitting there and you're just like fuming and like there's steam coming out of your ears. Dude, pretty much. I mean, I'm just sitting there like glaring at the TV. You're just like with this look on your face or you're just like. "Mm." (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like go in the other room or leave or something like, (laughs) you know, just fucking whatever you do. Just don't dis- disrupt the integrity of this fucking movie. It's a great, like, yeah. movie. It's almost like a musical. It feels like you would just you just explode like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop and just be like, shut up! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, um... Uh, yeah. Shut up and watch the movie! <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And then... And then... The girl, Amanda, who the entire thing was kind of more her idea than my idea, who wanted to corral everyone and bring them over to my house to watch the wall. This Uh. bitch, she's getting so into the movie, like the first like 15 minutes, she's like rocking out to every little song and everything. 15 minutes in, I look over, she is passed the fuck out. (laughs) Just dead. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, that's cool. Like, so the only other person that like understood the significance of us watching this is now past the fuck out, like cold. And she remains passed out until like three quarters of the way into the movie. 
I pause it and I tell my friend Harvey and Harmony, I'm like, hey, you guys want to go take a shot? And so we go in my kitchen and then out of nowhere, I hear all my, like, my drum set crashing like it's being knocked over in the other room. Amanda had gotten up in her drunken stupor and for whatever reason walked into my music room, tripped and fell into my drum set like <laughs> Kurt Cobain style from like the lithium video where he just runs and jumps, jumps into Dave Grohl's drum set, <laughs> falls into my drum set, then falls on top of these speakers that I have on the ground that I'm, oh I'm doing work on. This and, is this is this is sitcom level. Yeah, of, like you know, this is like some Kramer esque pratfall going on. <laughs> and then she's like just laying on top of my speakers. I'm like, get up! Those are expensive. Get up! And she's like, I can't. Just leave me here. Just leave me here. I can't. And I'm like, Jesus Christ! And I go to like pick her up, and I see. Her shirt is like caught around something, so she like can't even get off the goddamn speakers. Oh my god! So I undo <laughs> her shirt from it and I yank her up. I'm like, "What the fuck, dude? What are you doing?" <laughs> and of course, one of the pieces of drum, like the one of the drums, fell into my wall and created an, another hole. <laughs> the the wall that already has several holes from parties before. And then I guess she felt embarrassed and like went to the bathroom or something. And I'm like, just yell. If there's that many holes in that wall, you should now like write with like a sharpie on the wall, like uh, the time, the date, you know. Yeah, I know. Because it just doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> but I'm just like yelling at this point. This is why I don't have fucking people over to my house. This right here. This shit happens every time, especially if alcohol is involved. And honestly, that's the only time I'd, I would want people over is if alcohol was involved. Because why the fuck am I going to have a bunch of people at my house and, and I'm sober? That sounds like like awful unless I'm having like band practice or something. Might be the better best uh, thing, though, if you're wanting people to watch something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely could have been planned a little better. And then the sketchy chick ended up coming over. And I did, and this this happens every time. Any party, any get together, doesn't matter how big or how small, there's always someone always ends up there that no one fucking invited. This sketchy Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I'm. I, I I don't have a problem with dropping all these names because I know none of these people listen to the podcast. Uh -huh. But uh, yeah, so this the sketchy chick comes over that I did not fucking want over, and uh, she just hangs out in the living room while we're all in the other room watching the movie. And I'm like, I don't like this at all. Cause like, I like no one's keeping an eye on what she's doing. Um, like she could be shooting up. She could be doing all whatever. I don't think she was shooting know. up, but I, I for, for me, it was more of a, uh, <laughs> like she could be like stealing my shit. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't dude. I don't know. I, this is my inner sanctum. You know, I, I, I let very few people here. And I don't fucking like it when people I don't really know come over. But anyway, that was my uh, my last few days, and and today I am hungover. So that is that is hilarious. Which is I'm just... sure the audience has been noticing has been happening more and more. I'm I'm showing up hungover on the podcast, yeah. but you know, uh huh. I ain't got no boss, so fuck y'all. <laughs> Um, that wouldn't work out so well, uh, if I showed up, uh, inebriated to work. Um, 
but that wouldn't happen anyway because I don't drink. But yeah, I've been getting more hours at work, so that's why we really weren't able to do the podcast last week. Sorry, folks. Um, our schedules just didn't align. Uh, I got over thirty hours again this week, so I mean that that's better than. You know what I've had in the past. I don't know how much longer this is going to last, though, because they just had like a bunch of people in for interviews. But we'll see what happens. Um, so other than work, I've just been working on updating my computer. Had a friend come over, uh, install Windows and everything, but he put it on my old hard drive, uh, the second hard drive that I had, and he made the, he he. Uh, it was an honest mistake. He thought that all of my data was on the old because I had two hard drives. And he thought my all of my data was on the the original hard drive that he took out, but no, I had a bunch of data that was on the second hard drive, which he wiped to put on Windows, put Windows Ten on. Uh-oh. Uh oh. So all that data is gone. Thankfully, it wasn't anything super important. Like at first, I thought like, oh, I lost the interview with Larry Block, but then. I realized I checked my laptop and I had backed it up on there. Oh, thank God. So I had it on my laptop. He also had a backup of it too. So if I didn't have the laptop, he still would have been able to send me it. Um, And the other stuff was just movies and stuff, which I could probably download and find again, which might be kind of fun to go through the website, uh, Rare Lust again, and, you know, download rare, you know, crazy uh, movies and stuff like that. Um, But... I would be nice to still have a second hard drive for extra storage, but if that doesn't work and it's a pain in the ass, I'm fine with just uh, getting the SSD going. And I found out a way through Samsung, which is the SSD drive that I have in Evo, you can use this program to transfer all the data from your previous hard drive to your your, uh, SSD. It works great. So I'm going to have my friend come over uh, this week, hopefully on Thursday, and we'll get that get that done because i want my setup on my new ssd i don't want it on my old seven-year-old backup hard drive hard disk drive with the actual discs in there and it's like seven years old like i don't want my main system on this yeah ssd solid state drives are the way of the future yeah that's and I'll, i'll tell you this uh i'm not much of a tech guy so um it was it was very much a learning process working on this computer like on my own because I I couldn't find the E drive because that's what it was previously. I'm like, where is my other hard drive? And then I spent like hours looking for it, and then I realized it's not plugged. I realized that my SSD is not plugged in, and then I'm like, well, that why I can't find it is because it was wiped, and that's my C drive now. <laughs> so uh. that's why I could not find it. Um, but I opened the back and, you know, the back of these computer cases is a pain in the fucking ass to put back on. Um, I figured out a, a couple days later the best way to do it is to actually take your computer case and set it uh, on its uh, uh, set it on its side, technically, uh, and then put the computer case on instead of having it upright. Because if you have it upright and you're trying to put the computer case on, like it's got some, it, it's it's more of a pain in the ass to get everything to line up. Uh, and I don't know about, and I also took out something, and there's all these different moving parts. So for all I know, I might have fucked something up, and 
because it's it's running a little louder than it than it was previously. So maybe because I've heard things like you can have one cord that's in the wrong place and it will like interact with the fan and and make noise. And so it, it's just one of those things where it's like uh i i'm i'm not i'm not a computer guy so it, it i could have easily messed something up so i'll probably have my my friend come over and and mess around with it and hopefully you know get it, the new ssd drive in and everything will be good um but yeah it was it was uh it was quite an adventure because we spent like pretty much the whole day trying to get this to work uh and we installed windows 10 like twice the first time around, it didn't work because we couldn't find the adapter, the network adapter, because there was a driver missing, and we couldn't find it. And then we used a Windows 8.1 Pro key that I bought uh, from eBay a while back, and he put on a basic Windows. Because re- really what we were doing, well, he was just, we were trying to roll it back, and set everything, you know, reset everything to factory settings or whatever. And we've watched like an entire movie during that time because it was taking forever. It took like three hours for that thing to go back to to uh, the the base status. And then he ended up taking it home with him and working on it that night and brought it back to me the next day. And uh, but one of the good things about it though is that the Windows eight point one Pro key it was still valid, so I got ten Pro for free. Nice. Because I've just just did the update. So, uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting uh, everything uh, situated uh, finally, once and for all, with this with this setup. Uh, and I've been messing around. I've also been playing some games. I've been messing around with PC X2. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. Uh, it's a PlayStation 2 emulator, and uh, it actually works really well, surprisingly a enough. PlayStation 2 emulator? Yeah. Damn, stepping up their game with the yeah emulations. Mm-hmm. There's the the, the the Xbox emulators don't work very well. They still haven't figured out a, a good one for those. And the PlayStation Two emulator has a lot of a lot more selection of of ROMs you can play versus the uh, the the Xbox ones. There's only a select few. So anyway, uh, let's. Uh, Start talking about the new Unsolved Mysteries trailer, which came out. Yes, today, it's finally come out. Um, and I watched it, and I'm sure you've watched it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I almost like want to like watch it like in real time right now. Like, you want to like pull it up, and we can start it at the same time. And uh, okay, yeah, we. We're, we're we're getting freaky here, guys, with this real time trailer watching. I just feel like it would be, <laughs> uh, it would it would you know put it like right in our minds and all that. Uh huh. I get you. Yeah. So just let me know when you have it pulled up. And... All right, I got it. All right. So three, two, one, pressing play. All right. My hope is that there is somebody that's out there that knows So we got people truth. looking through the woods, mm-hmm. the original creators of Unsolved Mysteries. Now we're Give going through a hope. river, awesome. got a guy being interviewed. I kept saying there creepy piano music. Find out. They have tinges of the original theme here. Yeah, which they did do. give me a they did give me a little bit some goosebumps here. Yeah, they but do. they didn't go all the way with it. They don't have the full theme. I don't know why they don't have the full theme in this trailer. 
Now they're showing a clip from like France, which is mm. cool that they're still going outside U.S. for cases. I think they were probably taken by people. The reenactments look like they're a lot more cinematic. Yeah, and that's a thing that they look they look like the same reenactments I, I've seen on every other ID show. Right. Which is what I was worried about. Where's the atmosphere? Where's the dark, you know, shadowy, you know, footage? Where's the lighting? Where's any of that? It just looks Oh, and there's the and logo. Then, there's the logo that Mike loves so much at the end. The logo sucks. Dude, okay, <laughs> so uh, a bunch of stuff to unpack here. First first off, let's talk about the new logo. So uh, last week... I don't think it's as bad as the old logo, the, the first logo that we the saw. The first logo that, that we saw just... did suck. I will agree with that. Uh, there was no effort put into it. Obviously, no. that was some kind of... This was still rushed to me, though. This is still a rush, rushed, half-assed logo it looks like they took the mysteries uh, font from the original uh, series just did some lazy cheap red outlining which looks like they just took a laser pointer and were just shining it around the letters and then also shined a laser pointer in the middle and then called it a day it seems like they had the red because it's from the producers of stranger things and it's like yeah. i don't need to be reminded that it's from the producers of Stranger Things. It's Unsolved Mysteries. And it's not the worst logo in the world, because it's not as bad as the previous one, but I just think it's... I still think it sucks because it's half-assed. If you're going to have a new Unsolved Mysteries show, and this... Why not have a logo that's at least on par with... Or just use the same logo. It's from the same producers of the original Unsolved Mysteries. I'm pretty sure they would allow them to use the original logo if they asked for it in this instance because it's their IP and it's a new unsolved official unsolved mystery show so i i don't understand why this is the route that they went with this could just be a trailer thing it could be a temp logo and i'm hoping that's the case uh i mean you could fix this by just making it solid white and then having red uh, a glowing outline or something or I would prefer purple or something because that's that's more uh, that ties in more with the aesthetic of the original logo. Yeah, I do think it has a Stranger Things connection with the red, though. I think that is why they chose. My take, I don't mind it. I really don't mind the logo at all. I think, I mean, I, I, I. So, so when me and Mike were arguing about this on the uh, shit, <laughs> my mic just dropped uh, on our, on the fan group or whatever, which you can go to by, uh, going on Facebook and typing in uncovering. It's unexplained. a UFO. No, it's not. <laughs> well, go, going to Facebook and typing yeah. in uncovering unexplained mysteries, go to the group section. You'll find our group uh. and you'll see, you know, the whole, uh, debate, but my, <laughs> my, my gut in my gut reaction was, Oh, that's cool. And so it's, you know, unsolved in, in the most, New new style of font. You see it everywhere on Netflix and streaming services now. It's this very clean. You know the words are spaced apart yeah, a lot. Just that part's uns- that part's fine. Unsolved. Well, that's the part that I feel like looks lazy. Because I mean, that's just like that. That's just like a standard font. It is a standard font. But here's the thing with the other one, it, the the new font that they have. To me, it looks fucking blurry and out of focus. So that's another problem. 
Why does it look blurry and out of focus? Uh, Maybe it's just the uh, res yeah, resolution. Yeah, it might be the resolution. Because but if you look in, at the poster, it looks a lot. The poster, it looks a lot better on the poster than it does just uh, against a black background. I think. I'll give you that. I mean, it does look a little bit better. I still think it's not, it's not, it, it's not really as, it's not on par with the original logo. And and, I, and, the, and that's my thing. And that it's like, red, if you're, that red glow, I honestly think that is supposed to represent a UFO. Everyone laughs I, at that. I don't know I, why. I, I don't, I don't see that. It just looks like a lens fit. It looks like somebody just shined a, a laser pointer Dude, in the middle of the logo. it's clearly in the shape, that hamburger shape of a UFO. It just looks like a light. Yeah, but it's it got it's got that oblong. If it was a light, oh, it'd here, be more circular. Here, no, you there's there's oblong lights that with the lens flares, um, and especially with effects that people use in Photoshop. I've I've seen it a lot, um, and on the low on the poster that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because there's a light shining from the sky, which to me represents a UFO. Is that light overkill for you? I, I think this. I th I think the lens flare is overkill. I don't think it's necessary at all. Just just remove it. I don't know why it's there. It just seems like it's just unnecessary uh, aesthetics. I don't know. I I don't mind. You it. didn't have any lens flares in the original logo. You didn't have any shit in the middle of the logo. You didn't have any of that. Mike, why are you still holding on to this concept that they're at all going to try to make this like the original? Well, I mean, because it's unsolved mysteries and nostalgia is a big thing. Right now, especially '90s nostalgia, yeah, '80s nostalgia, yeah. But they're they're not they're clearly after watching the trailer, they're clearly not going to to play it that way, and that yeah. and that's that's another and that thing. Sucks. Let's talk about the trailer. <laughs> so the trailer to me, I think it looks fine for another show that you'd find on Investigation Discovery. Yes, exactly. It looks fine for that. It doesn't look like there's nothing about it that says unsolved mysteries to me. Yeah, it, nothing. It could still be a fine show, and we're definitely going to cover cases from it. But yeah. it's, you know, it's not, um, and you know, maybe, you know, John and Terry have been in the, as, as much as we trash them on here, like, they've been in the business, like, a lot longer than we have, and, and they know, well, I was going to say they know what, what's going to work and what's not going to work, but then I think I'm reminded they of They did the, the reboot. Yeah, 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 they did the reboot, so... <laughs> Actually, I kind of take that back. But maybe they had someone else who was, you know, handling all that at, at, at Netflix. Maybe they had like a development team or something. Yeah, and they're maybe, like, you know, but... hey, we know that that you guys did this show. But, you know, we found that our audience likes this style of programming. Yeah, I, know. I, yeah, I guess maybe. But it's just so generic and overdone at this point they would have done themselves a huge favor if you ask me by having some semblance of the atmosphere and mood of the original <clears throat> show and whether it's just lighting just a simple lighting change just a simple uh directorial difference uh that i think that would have helped uh make this new series stand out and and actually <clears throat> would make it seem like oh hey you know let's th we let's actually make this a tribute in a lot of ways to the original series. Yeah. And and that and this just seems like another cash in. They're, like, oh, they're hedging the name. They're hedging their bets with this one. They could have taken a chance. And I, I'm sure that was talked about. 
They could have taken a chance and done it. It would have it would have worked either way. Like this is still going to get views. And it still was going to get views if they went the, you know, nostalgic route. It 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 didn't it would not really matter that much what route they took. It's unsolved mysteries. No other IP that deals with mysteries or true crime cases has the same uh, potency as unsolved mysteries. Yeah, but what does. about the kids who grew up who are at the age where they don't remember anything about a show called Unsolved Mysteries and, and they binge watch? Who cares? On I'm sick and tired of making everything tie into the current generation. Like, can, it, it, it's it, it's like Mike, you are not thinking from the perspective of a CEO trying to make money. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you're talking about a show, and, and that's the thing, I don't, I, I, it's one of those things that if you want to go that route, that's fine. But what's, what's the problem with having both? That's my thing. You can have a bit of both. You can do uh, both things. You can have a show that appeals more to this younger generation who's never heard of the show. And you could also have some of the aesthetics that uh and the feel of the original series you don't have to have one thing over the other that's kind of, that's ultimately what what i'm trying to get to and by by who cares it's like <clears throat> this isn't a show for them in the first place there's like a lot of these remakes that get made and they they all try to say oh this is for the new generation and blah 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 and they try to defend these lazy remakes of uh, popular films by saying, oh, it's for a new generation to be introduced to the film. It's like, just go and find the original movie and watch it and judge it on its merits then. And if you don't like it, fine. But why does everything have to be, you know, tied into what the uh, new generation wants? Uh, Well, that's typically because that's the age, that's the demographic that advertisers want. I mean, that's, that's this is a true crime show. What you're going that the, the demographic you're going to get with this with this show is the same demographic that grew up with Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I mean, that might be true. Like I said, I think they hedged their bets on this one. They went the safe route. They they made it look like, you know, a, the, the proven formula for true crime shows with the, you know, just it, it looks it's like super HD and super polished mm-hmm. and very looks like it's very tightly edited and all that and i mean it could be good you know but it's it's not gonna be it's not unsolved i mean you know within the first few scenes i can tell you it's not unsolved mysteries it's just not well yeah there's no host they're not doing that no hosting seems like there's not gonna be any narrator either uh which which uh, i'd be curious to see how they're gonna pull that off but I would just like to. I would like to some for someone to watch this new unsolved mysteries when it comes out. Who's never heard of the old one? You know, watch a few episodes of this new one and then show them the old one and see and see what they say. Like, yeah, I, there's no way that Robert Stack will not have an effect on someone who's never seen unsolved mysteries. They're gonna watch that show and be like, "Holy shit, this old dude is creepy as fuck." And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. exactly. That's the, uh-huh. the magic of the stack. That 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 mm-hmm. you can't you can't measure. It's it's a, the X factor of the show. Yeah. Which again, you know, the fact that they don't have a host and a narrator is almost kind of a tribute to how great he was. And they're like, well, we tried it with well, Karina, yeah. and that was just a complete disaster. So we're not even going to attempt that again. 
But they didn't try hard enough either, if you ask me. Farina wasn't really the right guy for that role to begin with. Yeah, they kind of did try though. They built like a new set, and they had people in the extras. They in did, the but I'm just saying it doesn't seem like they really tried to like recapture the whole that idea same of, sort of like recycling vibe. like the old segments was garbage. Yeah, that that's what I also mean by they didn't try. Yeah, they that, didn't try at all. Yeah, that other was than the set. Such a silly, <laughs> silly idea. I don't know why they thought that that was a especially good idea. for a new show. Like, it was a new show, and you had, like, reenactments from the 80s. Like, people were going to fucking... Yeah, and they looked like they were from that time. I mean, it was was 2008 on the Spike TV channel, where the basic visual aesthetic at that time was affliction clothing. Everything was... Fucking mansers. Yeah, everything (laughs) was, like, fucking, like, intense and extreme. And then you have Unsolved Mysteries. And then they're showing interviews with people who are wearing those boxy glasses with those goofy (laughs) haircuts. You know, just that. I will say this: it's going to take a lot for this new series to be on the same level of terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. No, this we. I mean, I can. I I can already tell you right now, out of the gate, that this is going to be head and shoulders above uh, the the 2008 Farina revamp. But But it's still going to pale in comparison to the original. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just the magic, you know, and the nostalgia isn't there either. I mean, it's got. It's like one of those things where like. Maybe 20 years from now, we'll look back at this Netflix version and be like, well, it was actually pretty good. But I don't know. Kind of the childhood wonder isn't there for me anymore either. I've already I've already seen like all the shows on ID that have been repackaged over and over again uh-huh. that have that sleek HD look where... Well, another thing, I mean, it looks a lot like the Cold Case Files reboot that already aired on Netflix. Yeah, someone was telling me about that on Facebook today. Someone uh, from our group was telling me that they apparently rebooted a couple of different shows that, and they weren't yeah. very good. So, I'm, and I mean, it was it was fine. Cold Case Files reboot was fine, and you know, Danny Glover was the narrator this time around, and you know, there's some interesting cases, but it's just you know, I mean, and Cold Case Files though is a show that never really relied that much upon its aesthetic. You know, it was more of a let's focus on the case and let's, you know, the narrator and all of that. Unsolved Mysteries is very aesthetic, you know, uh, uh, focused and based. Right. Um, You could even tell, like, like when the series moved to Lifetime, that you know the aesthetic wasn't the same. So, but it was still even in all of even all of its incarnations, they still had the stack, and I feel like that really was the glue that held that show together. The amount of times that it moved, his contributions were immeasurable. Yeah, to the show. So we shall see July first. Yes, we'll check it out. You know, we'll get. Well, you know, even even my stubborn uh, cynical ass will uh, will uh, uh give it a fair shot. Oh, another thing I wanted to touch on with the lo- the new logo is one thing I did, one thing that like when you were criticizing I'm like, "Man, Mike just won't give this this logo a break." And then I thought to myself, "Well, here's a guy who's been reviewing movies for over a decade and has seen thousands of movie posters and logos." Uh-huh. And yeah. so, yeah, I guess you do know a thing or two about what makes a good logo and what makes a bad logo. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not really in that yeah. world, you know. So for me, it's, uh-huh. it's easier to it's easier for me to see a logo and be like, ah, that's fine. I mean, trust uh-huh. me, I've seen my fair. I, God knows all the local bands around here. I've seen some shitty ass logos. <laughs> trust me. 
But like when it comes to any kind of like you know high production, like actually yeah. you know like no, the that's that's a big part of why you know I thought it it sucked is because it just looked like they did it in like a minute or less. There wasn't much effort put into that logo. I would say there was more effort put into this logo than the previous one, but that's not saying much. No. So they went from no effort to minimal effort. <laughs> and I think this show deserves better. I think Unsolved Mysteries as an IP deserves better than that. Yeah, but they haven't getting they they haven't been getting a fair shake for a while as far as like people's respect for the show. I I, th- I think I mean, and then you have uh, yes, we heard about it being removed from Amazon. Oh yeah, uh, I think some, I saw a that's tweet. Some bullshit. I saw a tweet that said it's gonna be back though in like the next couple of days. I don't know why that happened. Probably you know because of the new series. We'll see if it actually gets removed from Amazon entirely and winds up on Netflix. Uh, I know it's on Hulu, so I guess you can... But I hate how Hulu has it set up, where they have a photo of, like, season one, okay, and it has Robert Stack in the logo. But then the main big photo on the Unsolved Mysteries page on Hulu, it's of Dennis Farina. I'm like, why the fuck is Dennis Farina large and in charge? Gross. (laughs) On the Unsolved Mysteries page on Hulu. That guy had, like, what, two or three years of involvement with the show. And nobody liked him. Get them the fuck out of here. Like, let's act like that never happened, please. But why, the, no, they keep fucking flouting him around like he now, added. Any- now you know how I feel when every article online that talks about Robocop uses the f- a fucking photo from Robocop 3. It's the same photo of Robert John Burke and his stupid fucking face with this with the gun arm. And they use it in every fucking article. They're talking about the original RoboCop. They're talking about the remake. They're talking about they're comparing the remake to the new one. And they always use the same fucking photo. And I'm like, that's not Peter Weller. It's not the original RoboCop. Stop using the shitty RoboCop 3 photo. Stop being lazy and actually do your goddamn research and do your job. Fucking article writers. Shit. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is a podcast about unsolved mysteries. Uh, we actually we did at least talk about some unsolved mysteries <laughs> related stuff uh, with the trailer, um, but we actually have a uh, double dose of final appeal cases, which were um, honestly uh, they're they're really underrated. The final appeals they're really good yeah. because. I mean, the idea behind final the final appeal segments on Unsolved Mysteries is like, here is someone who has been convicted of a crime, and they're saying they're innocent, and their story is compelling enough that Unsolved Mysteries are doing a segment that's basically like saying, well, I don't know, maybe this person really didn't do it. So that premise right there, like especially for Unsolved Mysteries, is like a really cool premise that I feel like we didn't yeah. get to see enough of um well it actually got spinned off, uh, spun off into its own uh series which that to was me short-lived. is weird it's weird that they did that because they they did it so little on the show yeah it's like why would they do a, a spin-off i think they did it because those those segments always tended to be the longest that's segments. yeah that's true they were pretty long that make yeah that, that does actually make sense so they spun it into its own spinoff so they could you know have the 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 main show 
focus on other cases and have more time because it's only an hour and it's only 40 something minutes with without you know uh ads and stuff yeah so if like you're you're if the final appeal case is 23 25 you know minutes long like you don't have a lot of time for other cases that's true that I, that's probably exactly why they did that actually good thinking mike so speaking of final appeal uh, from the case files of unsolved mysteries, uh, that is uh, the focus of the first final appeal case. This was actually featured on an episode of Final Appeal, and this is the case of Dan Montecalvo. Now uh, I mentioned when I first heard that name, it sounded like uh, a ripoff of the Monte Carlo car or uh, some fancy drink you might order at a bar. But uh, my take, Josh has some other take. My take was Montecalvo uh, because, you know, Thomas Jefferson's house was Monticello. So Montecalvo okay. sounds like the uh, Thomas Jefferson ripoff at the trailer park, like the really not like the super nice trailer, <laughs> like the nicest trailer at the trailer park. Uh, like, yeah. welcome to Montecalvo. It's, it's <laughs> not quite Monticello, but, uh, you know. You're missing the the southern accent if you're gonna be you know it's in a trailer park, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I I just <laughs> should have done that. Take two. <laughs> Welcome to Montecalvo. It ain't as highfalutin as Jefferson's Monticello, but we got a uh, we got Keystone Light in the fridge, and and we got some of the finest uh, grizzly bear chewing tobacco this side of the Mason Dixon. So come on in. Don't don't mind the dogs. They ain't gonna bite you if you're nice to them. Uh, come on in, y'all, and uh, we sit down here and uh, on the front porch and uh, and uh, throw back some uh, th- throw back some old brewskis. <laughs> Make America great again. Uh, okay. Is, is that better? Yeah. All right. So convicted bank robber Dan Montecalvo met his 43 year old wife Carol through a group at her church that wrote letters to prisoners. And in 1980, they were married. After he was released, the couple moved to Burbank, California. Now, b- by the way, uh, Montecalvo is a man who has a history of run-ins with the law. In fact, he was uh, he was in prison uh, serving a 20-year sentence for bank robbery. And he's even interviewed, and he's like, I, you know, I couldn't really believe that, you know, I could fall in love this way, or, or that, you know, this is how things were go, you know, would have gone. But uh, I fell for her, and I guess he also kind of couldn't believe that she really would have fallen fallen for him either. Um, but uh, he was released. They moved to Burbank, and everything seemed fine. He joined her Bible study group, and he was actively involved in the church. However, Dan was later diagnosed with a bleeding or ulcer, which sounds really fucking painful. Ye- I mean, ulcers are bad enough. Yeah, and, and you know, he had this bleeding ulcer, so what did he do? He started drinking. Yeah. Which, you know... For, because he couldn't work. For those of you who don't know, an ulcer is, like, essentially a, a, a hole in your stomach mm-hmm. uh, or a sore in your stomach that is very painful um, there's a lot of nerve endings in your stomach, so, you know, you can, if your stomach is hurting, I mean, it fucks up your whole day, you know, it, oh, yeah. it, and alcohol is essentially just straight up like it, an uber irritant to ulcers. In fact, drinking mm-hmm. too much can cause ulcers. 
So that is pouring gasoline. Maybe that's on a why fire. he had a bleeding ulcer is because he had drank so much. Yeah, that's very possible. Previously. Absolutely. I wonder if that's a common side effect of alcoholism. Oh yeah, no, it, no, it totally is. Yeah, it is one of them. Not for everyone. Some people's stomach linings are different than others, and you know, some people. It's like some people's lungs. Like some people are able to smoke like four packs a day and live to be like a hundred and something. Well, so. that's there in the fucking minority. Cause most, I know. most of those people develop emphysema or COPD I or know. something like that. Yeah. Smoking's bad kids. Yeah. Okay. I have a, a manager at my work and she's a, she's a nice gal, but you know, she's got COPD and she still smokes, you know, it's just, it's too bad, but it, it's an addiction. It really is. It's hard. It's a hard habit to break. So unable to work, he drank heavily and he began to gamble. In March of 1988, uh, she won a contest of her job and the prize, uh, Carol did, and the prize was a trip to Hawaii. On the evening of March 31st, 1988, they were both they both were shot in their home by intruders. Although he survived, she died from her wounds, Carol. Uh, whoever wrote uh, this wiki, I didn't really do uh, the best job. It's kind of confusing. So Dan said that at 10.30 p.m. on the night of the shooting, he and Carol took a break from packing for their vacation and went on a walk around the neighborhood. When they returned, they changed the registration tag on Carol's car since it was about to expire. Uh, Carol went inside to get a towel to clean Dan's hands. As she went inside, he heard her say something. He then heard a gunshot, so he ran inside. As he entered, one assailant... Whoa, what the fuck? Sorry, my fucking vape just toppled over. Okay. We're professionals. So dropping, dropping the mic. I know. You know your vape's falling over. It's fucking hungover mess today. What do you want from me? <laughs> this is free, people. Let me remind you of that. Uh, uh, yeah, but, I know. Unless you're a Patreon, which I fucking appreciate it. I'll edit out all these uncomfortable noises did, from the Patreon. Did the vape just, like, fall over on its own? Do you have a ghost it's, uh, over there? It's kind of top-heavy. It's not very oh, difficult okay. for it to get knocked over. You could just be like, it was a ghost. <laughs> Uh, so, as he entered, uh, one assailant, has a, a Hispanic man with a mustache, grabbed him from behind. As the two struggled, the assailant shot him in the lower back. No vital organs were hit, and there was almost no bleeding. He found Carol lying dead in the hallway. She had been shot once. He then went and called 911. The office phone was broken, so he went and called from the living room. They actually uh, play the nine part of the nine one one call in the reenactment, and uh, he definitely did sound genuinely distraught. Yeah, no, but, he did very much so. But I've heard some nine one one calls from cases that wound up being uh, murder that sounded genuinely distraught too. I mean, sociopaths can be really good actors. Yeah, um, there was this uh, Netflix documentary called The Staircase, where mm-hmm. um, essentially what happened was there was this, um, you know, uh, high uh, prominent couple that lived in yeah. this wealthy part of wherever the hell, I don't remember. But anyway, the wife ended up, uh, shit, man, it's starting to, the weather outside's getting kind of crazy that might might cut out here hopefully it doesn't but if it does <laughs> that might happen just letting you know ahead of time um anyway okay. there's a prominent couple um and basically what happened was um 
the wife, the, the according to the husband, he walked in to the house. She like they were drinking wine outside by the pool. She walked in. Like twenty minutes later, he walks in. She's dead at the bottom of the staircase with blood everywhere. And he calls nine one one, and he sounds super distraught. And they basically end up convicting him because it's like, dude, how else would this have happened? There was no signs of anybody else in the house. And it was this whole Uh big thing or whatever. But yeah, anyway, I I bring that up to bring up the whole, like he also sounded super distraught. Uh, The jury is still out in my mind as to whether he did it or not. I think he probably did. Anyway. So uh, the call was placed at 11.01 p.m. Five minutes later, officers arrived at the scene. They proceeded cautiously, unsure if the assailant or assailants were still inside. Dan went to the door, and he pleaded for the officers to come inside. However, the police could not hear what he was saying. They yelled for him to come out with his hands up. Police entered the home at 11.11 p.m. Carol was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, Dan claimed that she might have survived if police acted quicker. Uh, That night, the bullet was removed from Dan's back. Gunshot residue tests on Dan's hands came back negative. For the next four days, detectives searched the Monte Calvo home. At first, they suspected Carol and Dan were attacked by the same home intruders that murdered Deputy Charlie Anderson and Burbank a few months earlier, which I guess was also a case that was featured on the the, the series, Charlie Anderson. Oh, interesting. Interestingly enough. Uh, evidence in the home seemed to support the burglary theory. There was a small slit in the screen door, a cash box, and the filing cabinet containing it had been jimmied open. Police also found the shell casing from the bullet that hit Dan. It was a twenty-five caliber. However, other evidence at the scene did not make much sense. Carol's purse remained untouched. The police did not think that a burglar would break into a house with all of the lights on and two cars in the driveway. That's a good point. They became suspicious of Dan when they learned of his criminal past. And I think this is the reason why they zeroed in on him immediately, because he was a former criminal, because he was a con. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, which I mean, rightfully so. Oh, yeah. They also discovered that he had large gambling debts with several casinos. He, I, I guess he was like $20,000 in debt uh, with uh, gambling uh, with... Uh, particular you know groups of casinos and stuff like that i mean so it, it's safe to assume he might be an alcoholic but then and on, and on top of that he's also he's also addicted to gambling maybe he just has an addictive personality like some people that that really is something that they're born with they just have an addictive personality so they become addicted to uh alcohol or drugs or or gambling yeah, my mom said that about me a long time ago, uh, because when I was a kid, I always had to chew gum, mm-hmm. and and I did this weird thing where I sucked on it or whatever. Yeah, um, that is weird. Yeah, I think I think it was a leftover uh, natal kind of th- thing from you know yeah. when you're a kid, you suck on the titty. Uh, I think it was leftover from, <laughs> or your thumb. Yeah, or yeah. your thumb. Um, I I just went with titty for some reason. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I would always suck on the gum and I insisted on having, especially after a meal or something like that, I needed the gum. And uh, my mom like told me one time I was like seven or six or something, just playing with my toys or whatever. She's like, 
She's like, son, you need to, uh, you better never try drugs because you have a very addictive personality. I remember her saying that to me. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's And you're hungover. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yep. So game and point or whatever that phrase is. (laughs) Game set. Yeah, there you go. So uh, they discovered that he had large gambling debts. He apparently flirted and went out with other women while Carol was at work. Wow, what a what a stand up guy! What a what a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, sometimes he would even bring them home with him. One bartender said that Dan had once brandished a revolver and pointed it at him. That being said, that that's not evidence that he actually killed her. That's evidence that he might be an asshole, but it's not evidence that he actually killed his his wife. Police learned that Carol had approximately $600,000 in life insurance policies on her. Authorities theorized that Dan may have killed Carol in order to get the life insurance money, which he would then use to pay back the debts and probably uh, get into even more debt because he's he's addicted to gambling, so he probably would just go in and gamble more money in hopes that he would double his profits or whatever. This theory was substantiated when two men came forward. The, 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 they said that they were acquaintances of Dan's, each claimed that Dan had talked to them about getting large insurance policies for their wives and then killing them. <laughs> That's just casual conversation, right? You know. Yeah, you know. Uh, did you get life insurance on your wife? Your policy on your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much? Six hundred thousand dollars. Oh, really? How much did you get? Like eight, eight hundred thousand. You know, we could. You know, that money would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to get that money? You know, hey, do you do you uh, describe? Do you subscribe to uh, Kill My Wife Monthly? Uh, it's a great, it's a great magazine. Uh, gives you uh, some uh, tips and tricks on uh, the best ways to. Uh, hey, we should join the chat group. Uh, you know, Kill My Wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got. Gu- I guarantee on the dark web that there is probably some message board out there where they uh, talk to hitmen and say, "Hey," because they always. Find that crazy shit on people's computer, like after they commit a crime and they like get a search warrant and they start Strider go- Starfire. Yeah, oh god, <laughs> yeah, they start going through their computer and they start they they start finding like all these uh you know like how to the most effective ways of killing babies and all this other shit and it's like what the fuck like where did like where do these people go to find this information? They go to the deep web, or or they just do a Google search. Like some of it, like just they just do Google searches, and they just look and check their Google search, and it's just the most fucked up shit. Like how to murder your wife for a life insurance policy. I was looking up something about cyanide the other day because I um I was curious. About, oh no, I was curious about it for some something piqued my interest. So I was wanting to do some research on cyanide pills. And literally, probably on a watch list. Yeah, dude. Literally, when I typed <laughs> it in, the, the first result was like suicide hotline. Like it was a suicide hotline. Like yeah. it was, it was crazy. Like, dude, guys, I'm not. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with my life. I'm just wanting to do some research. Okay, just calm down. But I mean, I get it. Some people yeah. might think that that's uh, apparently suicide po- or cyanide suicide poisoning. Cyanide poisoning is a uh, is a very painful way to die. It's not like how they make it seem in the movies where they eat a cyanide pill yeah, and then, and they then just, their mouth foams and then, and they, then the, yeah they just drop dead. Apparently, is a very very painful way to die. So, if you're gonna kill yourself, kids, don't don't do it with the cyanide. Didn't didn't one of the uh, 
criminals featured on the show, like poison people with cyanide? Yeah, that was the one that took place on that island, and it was it wasn't Jamaica. It was the Bahamas, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up, man. So uh, authorities theorize that Dan may have killed Carol in order to get life insurance money. Uh, he was talking with his buddies, uh, kicking back some brewskis, and uh, they they were both coming up with theories about how to kill their wives. Which, uh, yeah, to be a fly in the wall in that in that conversation. I wonder if they came. I wonder if they were uh, theorizing different ways too. Like 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 it's a game of Clue. Uh, I'd kill her in the living room with the candlestick. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be in the library with the lead pipe. Don't you know anything? And Colonel, so and, and Colonel Mustard's <laughs> got to do it. <laughs> so after the murder, Dan moved out of his home and placed most of his belongings in a storage locker. About a year after the murder, Dan was pulled over on suspicion of DUI when he fled the scene. He was soon arrested and in his trunk was a handgun and a bizarre manuscript written by him. He was arrested because he was a felon in possession of a handgun. He allegedly threatened officers who had arrested him. I am wondering what that bizarre manuscript was. Like, what what was the details of that? They, they just mentioned it was bizarre, but they didn't go any, into any further details on, on the manuscript. It's probably the, uh, it was probably the treatment for Troll 2. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> You killed your wife, and now you're and gonna then kill you're me. You're gonna kill me. Oh my god! <laughs> if anyone doesn't, if anyone hasn't seen that 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 uh, that that legendary awful scene from the movie Troll Two, look it up on YouTube. You, they'll yeah. they have just the thirty second scene there. I, I you should you should have they should they should there should be a scene there should be a. Uh, a melding of the two actors from Troll Two and the guy from that reenactment in that one episode on Saw Mysteries, where he he was like he had the beard and he looked like a homeless person, and he was confronted by someone that knew him. They should just combine those two together and just be epic, in terms of just cringy line delivery. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, he was arrested because of uh, uh, he was a felon in possession of a handgun. While in jail, authorities searched his new home. They found a book in which he detailed the actions of authorities. I don't know. I don't know if that was the right term, but okay. Uh, they also found a paper that was for a storage unit that he rented. When authorities investigated the unit, they found rubber gloves, ammunition, and a hollowed-out book. On the felt of the book, authorities noticed the impressions of two guns, a twenty-five and a thirty-eight. These two types of guns were used in the shooting. Based on this evidence, in March of 1990, Dan was arrested and charged with Carol's murder. Here's the thing. You can have guns that match the type of guns that were used in a murder, but that doesn't mean that those are the murder weapons. And it doesn't mean that you murdered that per somebody with those guns. I mean, it's kind of circumstantial. Like 25 and 38s are, are common guns. Yeah, I mean, it's. I feel like it's kind of circumstantial as well because it's like they don't, they can't prove that that you know a de a gun was definitely in there. You know, no. It's like yes, it looks it looks that way. It 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 definitely appears. Well, had impressions of two guns, and it probably did have guns in there. But you can't prove that those guns were used for the murder. Yeah. So during the trial, prosecutors claimed that Carol had saved money for the trip and kept it in a locked box. 
They claim that Dan stole the money to help with his debts. The motive for the murder along with the insurance money was the cover-up that he had stolen money from Carol. In November of 1990, he was convicted of uh, murder and sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. That was just really easy. All they had was just a prosecutor saying he stole the money. Excuse me. Got a little indigestion. Yeah, you got a little emotional just, there. Know. Yeah, I got a little indigestion there uh, just because, th- th- to me, this is just honestly kind of bullshit. Like, it's one of those things, it's like, yeah, he was a felon, but it seems like he was uh, fairly reformed for the most part for a, quite a long time after he got out, other than getting involved with gambling and, you know, drinking too much, but that's not a criminal act. So, yeah, so they just assume that he stole the money, even though they don't really have any proof that he stole the money. Then they just assume that the guns that were in the book he used to shoot his wife, but they don't have any any proof that those guns that were his, uh, you know, the, the murder weapons were actually his, and that he actually shot. They didn't, he, there was no gun residue on his hands. How did he shoot somebody and not have any gun residue on his hands? They did a test, like, the day, the, the night that it happened. How... How do you shoot someone with no gun residue? I guess you can wear gloves. I guess. I guess you could have worn gloves. But then there's all this other stuff. Like, he shoots himself in this, like, specific position in his back that is not not really an easy place to get to, and he does it in a way that doesn't incapacitate him, that doesn't, like, paralyze him, enables him to be able to move around and, and use the phone... There's all these other things that just don't really add up to me. And 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 then, of course, you have this other stuff where, you know, okay. Uh, but I, there are other things that don't add up, too, like the robbers, you know, and all of that. Because it, there, there's stuff that was going on outside. Because the, the house has all the lights on. There's two cars in the driveway. Um, why would they break in? So, anyway, he was charged with her murder. Uh, He was sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. 17 days after his sentencing, he married one of Carol's close friends from church. Uh, However, in January of 1991, his neighbor, Suzanne Brown, confessed that she and a friend were the ones who had broken into their home, believing that they had already left for their vacation. They planned to steal the money for drugs when Carol entered. Carol asked Susan, what are you doing here? Uh, and it was more like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then Suzanne's friend then shot and killed Carol. Moments later, he shot and wounded. She shot and wounded Dan. She mentioned that uh, I, I wasn't I actually didn't want to shoot Dan. I was just I was wrestling with Dan and the gun went off. So uh, Suzanne's friend then shot and killed Carol. Moments later, she shot and wounded Dan. Um Dan believes that Suzanne was one of the robbers, but he's adamant that she wasn't the one who shot him as the shooter had a mustache. I mean, there are some ladies with mustaches, but nothing, none that I've seen that are that, are that thick. Or that violent. Yeah, or, the, you know, that, and the mustache itself? Now, that's that's a story. The, the, the mustache did it. Like, I didn't do it. I was clean shaven, and then this mustache showed up, and it just glued itself to my lip and then gave me psychotic thoughts and I broke into this guy's house and I 
shot him. <laughs> like Thing and from uh, the Adams Family. <laughs> um, and isn't there a robot chicken sketch with like Shatner's toupee or something? I don't know. Or some there's something like that. I've seen like a sketch that had like Shatner's toupee and it be, and it's sentient. It's it's sentient and like is alive. <laughs> the word Shatner, the phrase Shatner's toupee and sentient in the same sentence is funny to me. <laughs> Um, so according to Dan's attorney, Suzanne know that Car- knew that Carol had lost a flip-flop, which was only verified through police reports. Also, also, she apparently knew the color of the cash box and that $800 had been taken. She also knew the type of weapons used in the screen door had been slit. Her confession prompted a month-long investigation by the DA's office. However, he refused to reopen the case. The prosecution and many police officers believe that Suzanne is lying she allegedly has a history of mental illness. They say that she made up the story to get attention. She maintains that she and her friend were responsible. Along with Susan's uh, conve- confession, uh, Dan claims that there is other evidence to suggest his innocence. Authorities were never able to tie a specific murder weapon to him or the crime. Exactly. Dan also filed a lawsuit against police department a few months prior to his al- arrest. Oh. Yeah. He believes that he became a prime suspect after the lawsuit was filed. Also, unidentified fingerprints were found in the home that did not belong to Dan or Carol. However, the fingerprints also did not belong to Susan or any of her associates. Partial footprints on the kitchen floor could not be tied to either of the Montecalvos. Neighbors also reported hearing people running for the Montecalvo home on the night of the murder. One man said that they had knocked over the ladder in his backyard. Uh, Interestingly, Susan said that her wood pile had been knocked down when somebody jumped over her fence. Dan hopes that the case will be reopened and that the real killer can be found. So Suzanne Brown confessed that she shot Dan and her friend shot Carol. However, she has never been officially charged in the case. Another possible suspect in the case is the unidentified intruders that killed Charlie Anderson. The case was featured on uh, the October 19, 16, 1992 episode of Final Appeal. Uh, Karen Kingsbury, Karen Kingsbury, who was featured in, uh, the segment, she wrote the book Fatal Vows, which is about the particular case. It was also profiled in some show called The Perfect Murder. It comes to the conclusion that Dan was indeed responsible for Carol's death. So, it's actually unresolved. Susan Brown eventually stopped cooperating with authorities. The district attorney later determined that her confession was not credible. As she repeatedly changed her story and even admitted to lying about certain aspects. Dan continued to appeal his conviction until his death from sepsis in September of 2013. However, he was never able to uncover any new evidence to dispute his conviction. It is not known if anyone else is still working to prove his innocence. And I would say probably not because they're just like, no. you know, just like, just let it go. Let it die. Let's focus. Let's focus on other right. cases. Yeah, this isn't. What, what are your thoughts? You think he's innocent or guilty? Uh, it's, it's it's hard to say. I mean, these final appeal episodes are really compelling, and they 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 they. Yeah. I feel like they kind of push you to the side of the person didn't do it, or maybe they're at least trying to raise like reasonable doubt. Um, the whole Suzanne thing. I don't. I don't know why you would go on a national TV show and be like, yeah, no, it was me. I do think she has mental illness. 
And so yeah. I don't really believe anything she really has to say about it. Um, uh-huh. So it's 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 hard to say, honestly, for me. I th- I'm leaning more towards him being innocent because of the you know the the lack of concrete evidence. I mean, the 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 fact that there were other footprints, the fact that there's other fingerprints. Uh, the fi- all of the fingerprints were tested. They don't tie into any of the Montecalvos, uh, including <clears throat> Dan. The the whole thing about the the reason why he was convicted is because he was a felon. He was a bank robber and the lawsuit. Uh, the lawsuit and uh, they found a book that could have hid some guns in it that could match the guns that were used. But they don't actually have anything. It reminds me of, uh, in some ways, of similar railroadings, like the West Memphis Three. Oh, we found this knife in the lake. Right. And, you know, it could be the knife. And then when you go under, like, more, you put it under more scrutiny, you're like, it really isn't the knife. Right. (laughs) But at least they actually, but with that case, they could conceivably more easily make up some bullshit way to connect that knife to what happened and make the jury buy it. Right. In this case, there's no there's not there's nothing other than the book that hides gun. So yeah, I I just this case it's one of those cases where I think uh Montecalvo's reputation was a big reason why he got convicted. Um, especially his reputation as a convict. Um, is there a possibility that he could have done it? Absolutely. I, I think the more plausible scenario is that he hired those individuals that broke into his house and stole the money and uh, killed his wife. The, they were maybe former accomplices of his. Um, I, I, I find that more believable to me than him just doing everything because the segment even points out like how implausible that is. Like he was able to shoot himself in that specific spot without seriously injuring himself. And at the same time, in a very short amount of time, he was able to hide the guns and hide the evidence before the police came over and all this other stuff. It just seems a little bit too complicated and and too uh too overly detailed of a uh situation or and when it comes to like cleanup of a crime scene for him to actually do that and you know be a one-man gang in that instance so if if he was involved and and he was responsible for her death i think he hired somebody to to do it um because I, I can I can buy into that concept that he might have you know had his wife killed to get her life insurance policy. It is pretty damning that he talked to his friends about how to kill his wife. But what a you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he did it. But it does mean that he at least thought about it. So it's one of those things where, and I'm not trying to say defend him because i think he's just an innocent angel of a person like i said earlier i think the guy in all honesty is probably an asshole uh because he was cheating on his wife and he was doing all this other shady shit um but there just isn't enough evidence that's available to me 
to to really prove without a doubt uh, that he was the one responsible for the death of his wife, uh, and at least in a way that he was the one that pulled the trigger. And that's what he was convicted for. He was convicted as the guy who pulled the trigger, and there really wasn't enough evidence to suggest that. So in that particular in- instance, I do feel he's innocent. I-, I feel there's a chance that he might have been involved uh, with her death in a different way, like I mentioned earlier. But other than that, I, I-, I don't really, I-, I don't, I don't think he's the one that was behind uh, her murder in terms of just shooting her. I think someone else did that. My lord, terribly sorry to interrupt, but we do have a podcast promo swap from our friends at the Resolved Mysteries podcast that I think you might really enjoy. So please stand by. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolved Mysteries podcast. Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird shit like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. All right, so uh, we're moving on to another final appeal. This is one we've been trying to talk about for a while the now. The Bird Road Rapist. Bird Road Rapist. Uh, B- Say that five times yeah, fast. BRR. Um, so yeah, this, 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 this poor bastard, man, I am convinced, yeah. I'm convinced this motherfucker's innocent. So on July 19th, 1977 in Coral Gables, Florida, of course it's got oh, Florida, of course it's gotta be Florida. Of course. Doesn't like 75% of all the bad shit that goes down <laughs> on this show happen in fucking Florida in some way or another, or they like flee to Florida or they're, yeah, they're yeah, apprehended yeah. in Florida. Like, God, <laughs> Why? I'm telling you guys, Florida is not that bad. I will. I don't think I've seen a single instance of somebody found in Vancouver, Washington. No. So I've seen Portland. I've seen Oregon. Well, I've seen ones that have, that have occurred. Vancouver, in Washington but... is not where the party's at, baby. <laughs> it's down here in the Sunshine State, motherfucker. What's your What's your motto for your state? Your state's motto. I don't even know what the state motto wow, is Mike. For, for Washington. Wow, that's sad. Well, what is your, your the Sunshine, Sunshine State? state right? Yeah, our our state song is uh, "Old Folks," our uh, Swanee River, aka Old Folks, way down uh, upon the Swanee River. Our by and by is your state song. The state motto is like "Alki" or "Alki," which is just called "By and By." Hope for the future. Oh, it's like Latin. No, it's it's actually Native American. Oh, well, I mean, we probably stole it from the Native Americans, so I guess it's fitting that we steal their language too. Um, folks, this is an this is a prime example of a rabbit trail or getting off topic. <laughs> what you guys have uh, come to know and tolerate. <laughs> Notice that tolerate is a good is a good. I didn't word say no one love. I said no one tolerate. 
<laughs> let's get back to the Bird Road Rapist. So anyway, Ju- July 19th, 1977, Coral Gables, Florida, a 17-year-old girl named Judy, that's what we'll call her, was driving home along Bird Road when a car came up behind her and began flashing its lights. The car pulled up next to her, and the driver pulled out a gun. And, you know, Judy's all like, I don't know, this guy was flashing his lights. I don't know if this is a cop. I don't know if this is a friend of mine playing a prank on me. I don't know if it's someone trying to tell me that I have car problems. So so she pulled off to the side. He pulls up next to her, pulls out a gun, forces Judy out of her car, drove her to a construction site where he raped her. The rapist then drove five blocks away, dropped Judy off, and he kept her driver's license and panties. Judy had become the first victim of a man called the Bird Road Rapist, who kidnapped and raped 24 women between 1977 and 1979. Judy described her assailant as someone between 6 foot and 6'2", weighing about 220 pounds. He spoke English with a slight Spanish accent. She also said he had a mustache and drove a light green car. Two days later, after her attack, Judy was at her job at a gas station. First of all, props to the people who grew up back in the day, like people who would be our parents. This motherfucker's back at work two days after being raped. Like... Yeah. What a, what a strong individual to be able to to do that. Like nowadays, well everyone's different. Everyone's different, you know. There there are some people probably even back then that would be like I I can't. I got to take a break. I mean, I feel like most people, you know, yeah. you would think would be that way, but you never know. So, anyway, um she was at her job when she thought she saw the same car which she had been pretty much, you know, raped in or whatever. Judy and a co-worker went out to the car and she wrote down the man's license plate number. After the man left, Judy called the police and told them about her sighting. In the reenactment, she literally just walks up to the car and the guy's just kind of timidly standing there. Yeah. And he goes to, like, grab the gas pump handle and the attendant just, like, puts his hand over the gas pump handle like, uh, uh, uh. And she's just, like, writing down his number and he just kind of, like, very cowardly just gets in his car and drives away. It was, it was kind of yeah. a weird... It's very awkward. Yeah, very awkward indeed. Uh, well, and by the way, this is another segment uh, from the vault. This is not featured, I don't think, on the Amazon. Um, I could be wrong, though. It should be because it's a really, it's a case that should be seen because th- this this is a prime example of an innocent man being fucked over. Yeah. By authorities. So investigators then went to speak with the car's owner, Luis Diaz, who worked as a cook at a Cuban restaurant. Diaz was working at the time when the investigators tried to speak to him. However, he did not speak English, so they were unable to question him. Authorities doubted that he was the rapist since he did not speak English and did not fit the description that Judy had given them, seeing as he was only 5'3 and 120 pounds. And that should have been it at that point. Very that small been guy, it. yeah. He was soon dismissed as a suspect, which is which was at that point good police work, I would say. Like, okay, yeah. guy clearly not at all fits the description. Whatever. Meanwhile, the rapes continued at the rate of one attack per month. The MO was the same each time. The victims were always young women driving alone. The rapists would always flash lights at them. The woman assumed that he was either a police officer, a motorist, a motorist in distress, or someone trying to warn them about a car problem. 
However, each time they got out of the car, they were abducted by the rapist. That's terrifying. Oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd pull over if someone was flashing their lights at me. I mean, I, I would. I wouldn't either. That just seems suspicious. Yeah, like if they're behind gonna, me and they're flashing lights at me. Yeah, a cop is gonna turn on their fucking head like sirens. Yeah, the sirens and the top lights and stuff. They're not gonna. They're not gonna flash their high <laughs> Try beams. Try behind you like a fucking shadow and flash their high beams at yeah. you. Like, I'm... so at first authorities assumed that the Bird Road rapist was one man, but the s- descriptions given by the victims differed. Some described him as white, others as Hispanic. Some claimed he was short, while others claimed that he was tall. Some said that he spoke English with a Spanish accent, while others said he had no accent. Also, he apparently drove several different cars. So that really leads. It leads to, in my opinion, the most logical conclusion being it was multiple people. Yeah. Uh, Publicity about the case increased uh, the pressure on the police. The first victim, Judy, eventually told police that they should try to question the man she identified as her attacker, Diaz, once again. Diaz says that when he was brought in for questioning, the investigators continued to talk to him in English, even though he had no idea what they were saying. Diaz cooperated with the investigators once they're able to get an interpreter. Then now with Diaz, like uh, he seems like a genuinely nice guy. Like when you when you you see the interviews with him, it doesn't seem like he has a mean bone in no, his entire body. No, he seems like a fucking sweetheart. He also gives me uh, Dustin Hoffman vibes. Yeah, slightly. I could see that. Um. And the actor they chose to play him in the reenactment, they nailed it. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah, really they did. did. They absolutely did. Uh, so authorities decided to show another victim a photo lineup, which included a picture of Diaz. The victim, who had been attacked just two months earlier, identified Diaz as her assailant. At 2 a.m. on August 29th, 1979, Diaz was arrested in his home. And how they portrayed it in the reenactment, oh, they just that, it was they just, just like kicked in the door, threw the wife down on the couch, like just grabbed the guy. It was like police yeah, fucking roughhousing as, as finest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was like that. Definitely an example of police brutality. Like they just busted in there. I'm trying to find the because I, I I quoted, I made a quote from it. Yeah, where he, they broke in. And they're all the cop the the cop that arrests him, he's a fucking asshole. He was just overly aggressive. He was like, The bird road rapist, shut up. <laughs> shut up! Bird road rapist you, you know, they just knocked on the door, uh you, you, the bird road rapist Luis Diaz, the bird road rapist, you're under arrest. Shut up. Did you rapist ass in the police car, you fucking dirtbag? It was like there was no like, there was no subtlety, there was no chill, nothing. And part of me, I can I can understand, you know, the bird road rapist is terrorizing these women in this in this community and in the and in, in the in the city. He's an absolute nightmare and, and and a horrible person. But you're just jumping to conclusions here, right? Which doesn't do anybody any good. And that happens a lot with cops back then and still to this yep. day. And that's why we need police reform is, you know, for that kind of stuff. And, and it's for all races. It's 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 a cop problem. It's a problem with cops. It's it's, you know, and not all cops are, are, are you know, 
doing this kind of stuff, but there's a lot of them that are, and it's a lot of it stems from how they're trained. And I, I think a, I think a lot a big factor in this too was the line here where it says publicity about the case increased the pressure on police. Mm-hmm. They had to produce results. And it happens a lot. It, and that's part of the problem, too. With the West Memphis 3 case, it was the same thing. Yes. The publicity, the, the public outcry. The sheriff was up for uh, mayor. He was up for, what was it, mayor of, of the of the, of the town or, or something like that. Like, he was trying to get into politics. Yeah. And he needed to make his big move. So anyway, going yeah. back to this... Uh, on the night Diaz was arrested, police launched a massive effort to build a strong case against him. They impounded Diaz's car in an attempt to find some sort of physical evidence that would connect him to the rapes, but they found nothing. They tore apart Diaz's home. Oh, and boy, did they, according to this reenactment. Good oh, yeah. Lord. Searching for the gun used in the attacks, along with the panties and driver's licenses of the victims. Once again, nothing was found. 16 victims were brought in to look at Diaz in a police lineup, and eight identified him as a rapist. As a result, he was charged with those eight attacks. That's that's flimsy evidence. Like, yeah, I understand, yes, that they were raped and they saw the attacker. But how reliable is that? Like, if did it, most of them happened at night, right? Yeah, all of them did. Like... All of them happened at night. Like, what what was the lighting situation like? Was it was just light from the car lights? Like, it, it, I mean, how could you effectively identify the assailant? And a lot of times, in those the, these these uh, identifications were more the, along the lines of, uh, I guess that's him. It's it wasn't like yeah. these very uh, affirmative yeah. identifications. It's like, uh, I guess if I had to pick, maybe him right there. And then you get you get in later into the segment and stuff's revealed that there were women who were raped who were who were going to trial and were going to testify against him and they're like I don't really know anything about him or they're like I don't know what he looks like I don't know what he looks like so they have to go and get the the prosecution to tell him what he looks like to point him know, out that's what, that's him that's point the him guy. out so. Um, as a result uh, of being identified by the eight victims, he was charged with those eight attacks. After Diaz was charged with those cases, a search for the Bird Road rapist officially stopped, which sucks. A key point in proving the case against Diaz was showing that he was, in fact, bilingual. They had to prove that he could actually speak English, which kind of posed like this really interesting uh, thought in my head, like... What if I'm in Germany, for instance, and uh-huh. I'm committing crimes, and while I'm committing the crimes, I'm speaking German, but when they apprehend me and they try to question me, like, I stick to my native tongue of English, and I refuse to speak German, and they're like, no, he can speak German. I'm like, guys, I can't. I'm telling you. I can't do it. It's like, how how do you prove that if you don't have any recordings or anything well, like that. Well, in your case, they would just find your YouTube I know, channel but like back and, uh... in back in the set fucking 70s, like how do you prove that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's I... it's weird. It's a weird conundrum. How how do you prove yeah. that like a Spanish speaking how do you how can you honestly be like no, you speak yeah. English. I know you do. You can't. You can't. Mm-hmm. You can't prove it. Unless you I mean, unless there's some kind of Unless you do police brutality like a tango and cash when uh, uh, Kurt Russell puts a chair on this guy's neck and gets him to speak English. Yeah. Well, actually, he doesn't. He doesn't get him to speak English at all. He just starts speaking English in trial, and he's like, I knew it, that motherfucker could speak English. Uh, 
So investigators interviewed several of Diaz's former neighbors, and the investigators wrote in their report that he does speak English. They also learned that Diaz had a brother-in-law who was a used car salesman, which meant that he had access to several cars. Virginia Snyder, a private investigator, was hired by Diaz's attorneys to try and find evidence to clear Diaz. Based on the variety of descriptions, Snyder felt certain that there was more than one rapist involved in the case, and that Diaz and it was not Diaz. On April 29, 1980, Diaz's trial began. The strongest evidence against him was a testimony of the eight victims who identified him as a rapist. Roy Black, Diaz's defense attorney, pointed out that despite an intensive investigation, the police never found any physical evidence that could connect him to the rapes. Many of the victims had stated that their, their attacker spoke English. This was something that was difficult for Black to discredit. However, he was able to find several witnesses who said that Diaz, while working for a lawn care business, was unable to speak English to them. He needed to get an interpreter to help. Black notes that if Diaz could have spoken English, he would have in this instance, since he is trying to get business from the customers. This is something that would have benefited him. So it would not have made any sense for him to, you know, fake the fact that he can't speak English in this situation. Uh Uh-huh. So the prosecution, however, claimed that uh, Diaz spoke uh, enough English to be the rapist. Two detectives testified that after they arrested Diaz, he spoke to them in English for 90 minutes. However, none of... And this is this is an extra point I don't think was mentioned in the reenact in the in the segment is the two detectives part. No, it, it was. The, it was. Yeah. OK. None of this was tape recorded, however, of his the supposed 90 yeah. minutes. And, and someone was even yeah. on the show. I think it was uh, Diaz's um, attorney was saying, why wouldn't you record any of that? It, yeah, exactly. That's like a main thing that you're trying to prove. And black, you're just supposed to people just supposed to buy it because you're a prosecutor. Like, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't. Throughout the trial, yeah. an interpreter spoke to Diaz, telling him everything that was happening. Black felt that if Diaz actually spoke English, he would have blurted out something in English accidentally at some point in the trial. However, this never occurred. Diaz's defense also noted that he had almost no time to actually commit the rapes. He almost never drove alone. His wife always dropped him off at work and picked him up when he was done. Snyder also discovered that the detectives were incorrect about Diaz's brother-in-law. She found that the brother-in-law was not a used car salesman, but was actually an insurance salesman. Another point made... <laughs> That's a pretty big fuck right. <laughs> because they're two completely different yeah. things. Yeah, police, police needed him to be a used car salesman. Another point made by the defense was that since Diaz worked as a cook in a restaurant, he was always covered in the smell of fat, grease, and especially garlic. However, none of the victims ever reported smelling anything on their attacker. Diaz would not have had enough time to go home and get a shower before committing the alleged rapes, so it would be expected that this smell would have remained on him. The defense called in on one of Diaz's co-workers to testify about the garlic smell and how it never goes away. The prosecution, however, pointed out that the smell was not at all noticeable in the courtroom, which meant that it uh, would make sense that the victims could not smell it either. I mean, a court. But did did they did they end up getting going to the courtroom right after? Yeah, work? and then on top of that, like a courtroom is like a hundred times the size of uh, a car. Yeah. So he could have. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's not like there's all all different kinds of other smells in a courtroom too. I mean, because there's all different types of people with different deodorant, different perfumes, all the wood. different. Uh, Different stuff like that could easily mask the the car. I mean, you'd smell. have to take a can of um, you know, Glade or whatever, and just hold down the the button on the top and just spray 
air freshener in, in a courtroom for probably at least a solid minute. Yeah, minute I mean, for it's it to not a good. It's room. not a very. Yeah, it's not a very good point no. because in bigger rooms, it's very hard to really smell strong smells. Right. You know. So, despite the many arguments made by the defense, the eyewitness statements seem to have uh, more of an effect on the jury. Black, however, notes that eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable. He says... So now, uh, I want to mention this. It might be a little controversial, but I think, it, 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 it's, it's a, I think it's a discussion worth having. Do you think that because it was rape, that the eyewitness statements had this effect on the jury? If it was any other crime... Do you think it would have the same effect? You know, jur- the jury pool—they're—they're they're all human beings, you know, and they're all—they mm-hmm. they all, as as much as they like to think that they're unbiased. If you have a bunch of young girls like crying on the stand and upset and talking about being raped and shit, I just don't think there's any way that as a jury you can be that objective in that situation. I think you're going to be—it's going to appeal to your heartstrings a lot more or, or tug at your heartstrings mm-hmm. and you're going to be like, fuck this guy. You know, even if there's a shred of evidence that he's the man, we want to put him away. You know, I don't know. I just, yeah, kind of feel yeah. like that's, that's the case here. And it's easy for us as, you know, outsiders looking in to, you know, see the evidence and be like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. This, he, this doesn't add up. He didn't do it. But if you're in that, courtroom and and you're in that environment like you you could have you could easily get caught up in that and then be like oh my god like i just convicted an innocent man you know to life in prison for because i just assumed he was a rapist because he was a suspect right so he says that uh one victim uh black the uh a, a defense attorney for um diaz uh he said that one victim said that her attacker was six two even though diaz was only five three and that's fucking short for a guy by the way five three yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. in in uh, america at least uh the prosecutor claims that other the other discrepancies are unimportant <laughs> yeah easy for you to say but what was important was that all eight of them identified diaz as the rapist what about the other eight? Yeah, exactly. When the case went to jury, <laughs> they acquitted Diaz of one of the rapes. However, they convicted him of four other rapes, along with four kidnappings, three aggravated assaults, two robberies, one attempted kidnapping, one burglary, one assault, one battery, and one count of using a firearm while committing a felony. Diaz was sentenced <laughs> Diaz was sentenced to 13 life terms plus 50 years. 55 years. Whatever. After Diaz's conviction, everything seemed to return to normal, but doubts soon emerged. Well, speaking of Diaz's conviction, uh, they, they they have interviews with Diaz throughout, and he's he can't speak English, uh, so he's he's doing his he's speaking Spanish, and they have a I think a narrator subtitles, send subtitles. I think it's just subtitles, right? Yeah, it's subtitles, and which is a better move, really. Instead of it's, some American. It's way less annoying. Be- it's so weird when they do I that. Know. When, you know? Because they still have the dude's audio in the background, so it's kind of like two people talking over each other. And You know what was, trip- so- you know what was trippy? Is one time I was watching a YouTube video, and uh-huh. it was like a French-based uh, documentary, 
and it showed some yeah. guy and he was speaking English and then they like lowered the volume of his voice and then a French uh-huh. interpreter like spoke over uh-huh. and I'm like no I can hear the English guy <laughs> yeah that happens a lot with these old uh, with the there's like documentaries or featurettes of movies like Broken Arrow that the only thing I could find on the internet is like one that's dubbed in another language but you can hear the English in the background right. like shut up I don't want <laughs> why why does this exist? Why is there like a, a an English documentary that was produced and made in the U.S. and the only way I can watch it is in this dubbed version and you can't edit it out either right. because they dubbed over right. it. So it's like ruined. Ruined. Yeah. So uh, these interviews with him are just tragic. They really do hit you right in, in the heart. And he's talking about... Uh, his feelings after he's convicted and uh he was talking about how you know there were actual there's actual quotes from police they were saying like we're gonna throw you in prison so you could die there and then uh he you know ds is like when he told me that my soul exploded like a fire and then he's talking about and get really emotional. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. Where you know he's talking, getting really emotional about his wife, and he lost his wife. He lost his kids. Yeah, because you just you just get the feeling in your gut that this is yeah. an innocent motherfucker whose life is just getting ruined. And so it's just in a lot of ways it was racial profiling, and also and not only that, but it, it's uh, it's racial profiling and status profiling because he's not. He he's not you know rich. He's not affluent. Uh, they could easily railroad him, and you know they wouldn't have much of a opposition in terms of legal, you know, stuff because he doesn't have the the money or the income yeah. to really drag I, I think, things out. I think you might be jumping to conclusions a little bit on that one. I I think I well, think it boils I mean, down to the fact that he. The pressure was put on the police, and he was in this lineup, and I, I think that they needed to get someone. And this guy's, the license plate that the first victim gave yeah, led to, I, I to mean, Diaz. And I, I don't really think it necessarily had to do with the whole racial thing uh, or his... So it might not, not necessarily, you know, the racial thing might be a stretch, but... Uh... I, I think you know status also has a little bit of a, a well yeah a, I mean if he was a prominent a politician you know he would have just gotten away with it you know point blank I mean he you know they, yeah I mean this guy was easily railroaded and there wasn't a whole lot of people advocating for him yeah that's that's yeah so after Diaz's conviction everything seemed to return to normal but doubt soon emerged. Virginia Snyder noted that the judge for the trial originally believed that Diaz was guilty, but became uncertain after he read her report on the case. At the judge's request, Snyder began reinvestigating the case. She questioned the witnesses, who were previously questioned by the detectives on the case. She found several discrepancies between what they told her and what was in the detectives' reports. One detective said that a neighbor had heard Diaz speaking English. When the neighbor was questioned, she said the the detective was mistaken. Ooh, that's yeah, that's that's not good. That's not good for the for the prosecution or, or for the police <laughs> because of the validity of this conviction. That's it's for also sure. not good that this detective was later arrested for falsifying police reports. Yeah, although the reports this is were another not reason. related to Diaz's case. 
And when this is brought up for the detective being arrested for falsifying police reports, this is another reason why the stat, the, 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 uh, what is it? Qualified immunity. The qualified immunity for police officers needs to be removed entirely. What is up with that? That, that? Why was that even in place in the first place? That is something that enables these police officers who break the law they're supposed to uphold, continue to get away with it again and again, falsify police, police reports multiple times, but still keep their job as a police officer, uh, get involved in violent altercations with suspects, but still keep their job as a police officer. All of these are things that if... And if if anyone else other than a police officer did these things, they would easily be able to be tried and uh, put in front of a jury and get convicted. But because police officers have this immunity thing, that makes it very difficult for you to be able to do that. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, they are police officers, but at the same time, if they choose to break the law that they're supposed to uphold, they should easily be put in front of the same jury that convicts other criminals because they are doing criminal acts. I mean, just because they're police, it it should not matter to me at all. If you're breaking the law, you're a criminal, whether you're a cop or you're not. Right. So now uh, Snyder has now come to believe that there were there are multiple men responsible for the Bird Road rapes and that Diaz was not one of them. She believes that a specific gang was actually responsible. She questioned one of the gang members in prison. This specific member claimed that he was not involved in the rapes, but knew of several men who were. The man gave Snyder an eight page affidavit swearing that Diaz was innocent. Then another victim named Debbie came forward, claiming that she did not believe Diaz was a Bird Road rapist. Debbie had been approached by the rapist on December 20th, 1978. She claimed that she was able to escape the man without being raped. Good for her. Debbie described the assailant as six foot and clean shaven with dark blonde hair. This description is the opposite of Diaz. Although Debbie identified Diaz at the trial, she said that she was not sure of her identification. Then why are you fucking doing it? This is a man's life, you bitch. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but yeah. I mean. <laughs> when she was shown Diaz in a police lineup, she recognized him from news reports. She assumed that the police had the right man, so she identified him. And that's why I think all these other women identified him as well. Before the trial, Debbie and the other testifying victims were called into the prosecution's office. Each of them told their stories, and she felt that it was actually a rehearsal to determine which victim should go on stand at the trial basically which that's really messed yeah, up yeah which one had the most dramatic the, the most craziest thing then on the day debbie was scheduled to testify she was speaking to another victim about testifying the other victim said that she could not remember diaz's face and actually needed the bailiff to point him out prior to the court proceedings the victim then spoke to debbie she said that she was not certain that her attacker was diaz but she also said that she would just identify him as the attacker anyway. Debbie once again felt that she was making a mistake when identifying Diaz. Then, after Diaz was convicted, Debbie claims that she was approached by another man who tried to attack her in the same way that the Bird Road rapist tried to attack her years prior. An- and the rapes didn't stop either when, D- when Diaz was arrested. Another victim and from the, the trial, Mary, says that she believes Diaz is innocent. Mary claims that when she was shown a photo lineup that included Diaz, she initially chose no one. 
However, the detective told her、uh, to look at the photographs again. She felt that she was being steered into choosing Diaz. She eventually chose him, although she was uncertain if he was the assailant. One week later, she was equally uncertain when they showed、uh, Diaz in a police lineup. Once again, she eventually chose Diaz, but now she is certain that Diaz was not the man who raped her. But there you go. That's the whole thing we were talking about. Like, oh, I, I guess that's the guy. Right. That's how a lot of these went down. Authorities continue to say that Diaz was the Bird Road rapist and that the verdict was just. Virginia Snyder and Roy Black are convinced, however, that Diaz is innocent and will someday be released. Luis, Luis Diaz. Continues to maintain his in- innocence but remains in prison until after the broadcast, two of the rape convictions were vacated after the two victims recanted their identifications. However, Diaz remained in prison for the other rape convictions. In 2003, however, DNA evidence from one victim's rape kit was sent to a lab to be compared to Diaz. The DNA found to not match Diaz. DNA from another rape kit was found. To match the DNA from the first rape kit, which also eliminated Diaz as being responsible. All other rape kits have been destroyed.、Uh, as a result of this evidence, on August 3rd, 2005, Diaz was released after serving more than 25 years in prison.、Oof. He, he、yeah. was then reunited with his family, who threw a party to celebrate his release. In 2007, he sued the city of Miami for wrongful imprisonment.、Yeah. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. In July 2012, he received $1.3 million. Good. Unfo- good. Should have gotten, good. Should have gotten $2.3 million. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the real Bird Road rapist, rapists, plural, have never been brought to justice. However, Virginia Snyder noted that she later determined the true identity of the rapist. Her informant, mentioned above, was Luis Nunez, who told her. That his three friends, fellow gang members, were the actual rapists. However, Nunez died in 1994 without ever being interviewed by police. The names of. And I think there was an interview with a gang member in the, in the segment, right? Yeah, it was, it was an, a, another guy. Or maybe it was the same guy. I don't know. They blacked him out. They had him in silhouette. And yeah, the guy seemed pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, he seemed, wanna, he, he seemed pretty nonchalant about the whole thing. Like, yeah, I, I was in a gang. I mean, I didn't do it, but,、uh, you know, they like to have a little fun. You know what I'm saying?、And、I'm like, all right. Well, I guess that's in your world that that is a common thing. Yeah, I don't I don't want to. But then also, those are always creepy anyway, because the sh- they, sh- they, blo- they block the person out in shadows and then deepen their voice. So that whole thing is always creepy, no matter who it is、yeah. being interviewed. The names of the other men were never disclosed publicly that Nunez named as the rapist. And then Virginia herself passed away in 2017, which even at the time of doing this, she was like in her 60s. So, I mean, she lived、yeah. a fucking long life. It, it makes sense that it was more than one person. There was a gang of, of rapists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I guess they felt like they were getting away with it. So. All right. Well, that, that sucks for、uh, him. And I mean, you、mm-hmm. know, God knows how many family members died while he was in jail. And、yeah. I mean, did, did his wife stick around? You know,、um, there is an article、um, that, that shed some more light on this. But honestly, I am fucking starving and I cannot, I feel I cannot podcast much longer. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, anyways, guys, if you want to like us on or subscribe to us, on, what's the word? If you want to fucking. Yeah, subscribe to us on Patreon.、Uh, kick us some, some bucks. You'll get the podcast early as much as I can, get it out early, and you can、uh, suggest future topics for us to cover.、Uh, that is patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. 
We had the uh, Facebook group that I mentioned earlier that you can join. It's uh, go to Facebook and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and go to the groups tab. You can find us there. Me and Michelle over here are also on YouTube, but we are not together on YouTube. We are very much separate entities in the YouTube sphere. We uh, bump elbows with the the YouTube elites such as Keemstar and um, PewDiePie, so we're pretty big on there. Uh, if you want <laughs> yeah. to look up our video... We have never done that, but okay. That Good. was supposed <laughs> to get them to go and see if it was true. It was a marketing gimmick. <laughs> anyway, if you want to subscribe to me, me and or Mike on YouTube, you can find Mike's channel at www.youtube.com slash OCP, as in the letters, communications, OCP communications. He is a movie database. Uh, what was the last video that you did on your channel? The last uh, video, the last review I posted is of a film called Unfriended Dark Web. Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, it was pretty pretty lame, to be honest. I like the first Unfriended more. It, it was a more of a supernatural revenge film. It was that movie that had the point of view of people on their their computers, on Skype. Oh, uh, you might have heard about I've, it. I, yeah, I, I, um, I know what you're talking about. I like the first Unfriended. This the second one. It has the same format, but it's not as engaging. And it has this shadowy underworld of hackers who make snuff videos. And they, this group of friends on a game night, they get involved with them. But they're the kind of hackers that can do anything, including probably hacking into your own asshole. You know, it just became it, it. It was honestly less believable than the supernatural stuff because they're doing things like, oh, they could hack into anything and they could do everything like super quickly and super fast. They can make glitches appear whenever they show up on your video screen, and you know they could change their voice, they could do all this stuff, and they do it like super quickly. And I'm like, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit implausible to me that they were able to do like all of this. That, you know, without that, any yeah, problems. That to me, that that seemed like a movie where you only needed the first one. Yeah, like you didn't really. you didn't need to make a, a second one. No, it was it was a cash in. So yeah, to hear Mike talk uh, in depth about that movie and many other fucking movies, he's been around forever now, and um, he's <laughs> he's done a review on on just about everything at this point. You can go over to his YouTube channel if you would like to check out my YouTube channel. Where I cover music-based things, music history. I rate tears. I rate albums. Do the tears. Uh, I talk about the creepy Daft Punk music video. They don't want you to see. Sometimes I'll talk about my you know video games, like my top ten favorite video games. Uh, how crappy album art makes me sad. COVID cringe, quarantine themed music videos, and how awful those are. If you want to see any of that content, go to YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. Dancing with Ghosts, and you will find those videos. Make sure you subscribe and all that bullshit. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, have a good rest of your day. Bye. See ya. Now it's time for me to play you a new song from my band, Dancing with Ghosts. If you like the song, check us out on Spotify and like us on Facebook. Thank you very much. When can I see you? Show you a really good time When are you free again? Tell me why do you never reply No, you can't be reasoned with Too many questions can't take
perfectly clear Don't you dare deny me I just want you to leave me out